Father, I ask for eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that receive your love and your word this morning. I pray that everything I made up or came out of my brain won't be remembered by anyone else. But Lord, I ask that everything that you have to say to us this morning would be received with gladness and joy and shape us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. We love you, we love him, and we just ask for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We're following the wisdom and the guidance of the lectionary and the church calendar throughout the rest of the summer. And one of the best things about being guided by the lectionary is the variety of scriptures that you get. Uh, And sometimes you get passages that you wouldn't normally read or ones that you wouldn't normally hear too many sermons on. And and that's why I say it's wise to follow the lectionary, because we get a a more rounded presentation of Jesus uh, rather than maybe more of a a cherry-picked one. And so you'll get little stories just as often as you get big stories. Well, in the last two weeks, we've gotten big stories. Passages in the book of Matthew that are really big stories, miracle stories, stories that we we teach our kids, big miracles, feeding thousands by multiplying food and walking on the surface of the water. And last week we learned that oftentimes these big miracle stories are often teaching us something more than what's on the surface. And so multiplying food is really cool, and it says a lot about Jesus, but it was his compassion for the crowds that initiated the miracle. And Jesus and Peter walking on the water is really impressive, and it says a lot about Jesus, but it also teaches us what a real journey towards Jesus looks like and how Jesus responds when we sink and when we're full of fear. Have you ever read a story or a passage from the Bible that you've probably read or heard a hundred times, and then all of a sudden some new, something new, some new meaning comes out of it? That's how the Bible works. That's how the Bible is designed. Because God does not stop communicating with his people. He doesn't stop. He didn't write a how-to manual, leave it on our porch and say, figure it out, I'm out. That's not what God did. And so God always has something to tell us, even through the stories that we like to teach our children, because you don't graduate from the words of God. So our text today is not as famous as the last two that we've come to, but it's an important text. It's an important teaching. So right now, as we go through Matthew, everything seems to be in chronological order. That's, that's not always the case in the Gospels, but right now in these chapters, everything's in, in chronological order. And so at this point, as I mentioned last week, Jesus has become well-established as a miracle worker in the region of Galilee, just, just north of Jerusalem. His reputation is starting to spread, and he's becoming known as someone who does miracles. Uh, Walking on water was miracle number 16 in chapter 14. And then he did another miracle just after that. So we're talking about 17 miracles in 14 chapters. Jesus and miracles are becoming synonymous with each other. He's got crowds of people following him wherever he goes, and he seems to have at least some respect from religious religious, uh, leaders, 
even though they're definitely skeptical about him. But in spite of a little skepticism here or there, Jesus is as popular as he'll ever be until we get to our text today. So literally from our text today to the end of the book of Matthew, Jesus's popularity plummets. Not with his disciples, not with many of the other people who are followers of him, but his popularity with those in charge plummets. And it plummets because now those in charge are about to see that there is something beyond all the miracles and all the parables. He's he's more than a rabbi, he's a messiah. And unfortunately for those in charge, the Messiah doesn't like the way things are being run. And so starting with our text today to the end of Matthew, you're going to see Jesus challenging people in public and being challenged in public by others. So we will be in Matthew 15, 10 through 20. You can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. There's Bibles in front of you or under you. If you don't have a Bible, you can have that one. If you want to study the Bible together, you can email me and we'll set up a time. Matthew 15, 10 through 20. For context of this passage, of course, we just saw the miracles happen in chapter 14. Uh, Two of them we went through together. And so the dust settles and perhaps a little bit of time has passed. Uh, Probably not a lot of time, maybe just a few weeks. And we sort of get that from the beginning of chapter 15. There, There needs to be enough time for certain religious leaders to travel from Jerusalem to Galilee. So it's, it's maybe been a few weeks tops. And these religious leaders, these Pharisees and these scribes, they come to see Jesus because he is really popular and they're a tad skeptical. They're trying to satisfy two areas of curiosity. Why is this guy so popular? And is he popular for the reasons that we think are right. And so they go up to see Jesus and they have a question that they want to ask him, sort of a test of the waters. And they show up and they ask about ritual purity, but sort of in a nice way. They don't straight up tell Jesus to his face that, hey, you are defying the ritual uh, laws. They sort of put it on the disciples and they say, hey, Jesus, we've noticed that your disciples Uh, don't wash their hands uh, before they eat. Um, And of course, you know, that kind of breaks the traditions of our elders. Uh, Why is that? It's not a Bible question. It's it's like a religious tradition question. So washing your hands uh, before you eat is not the Levitical law. You're not going to find it in the Bible uh, it's, it's a part of the oral traditions and the teachings handed down by rabbis that came many centuries later. It's a tradition question. It's, it's the way we do it because the religious giants of the past did it and we respect the religious giants. Why don't you follow the church traditions? That's what they're asking Jesus. And Jesus responds by sort of laying into them. He, he, he kind of takes an offense and he calls them out for following tradition over God's words. And Jesus sees it as a teaching moment. And so he gathers the crowds around him and he starts to teach them about that exchange he just had with the Pharisees and the scribes. So Matthew 15, 10 through 20, uh, I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version this morning. 
Then he called the crowd to him and he said to them, listen and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it is what comes out of the mouth that defiles. Then the disciples approached him and said, do you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard you say that? And he answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. Leave them be. They are blind, guiding the blind. And if one blind person guides another, they will eventually fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain this parable to us. And he said, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth enters the stomach and then goes out into the sewer? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and that is what defiles. For out of the heart comes evil intention, and murder, and adultery, and fornication, and theft, and false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. So in many ways, this is a classic Jesus teaching. Uh, He's addressing something very specific with the Pharisees right in front of him. Uh, They've sort of challenged him in public in the paragraph before, but he's also giving a timeless teaching to the crowds that are also in front of him. And so it's, it's something that everyone can take away with them. So Jesus's teachings are sort of smart like that. Uh, They mean what they mean, and they often mean more than what they mean. He has this incredible ability to be cryptic and clear at the same time. It's the genius of Jesus. And it's one of the reasons why you can read the Bible for your whole life and find more meaning out of it as time goes by. So when we read this text, you can probably tell that there's a little bit more going on than just the teaching itself. So this morning, we're going to split this passage up by its two meanings. Uh, the teaching itself, and then sort of the teaching behind the teaching. The teaching itself is the one on the surface. And I just want to stress that just because it's on the surface does not make it the lesser teaching, okay? Uh, I don't want us to get that confused. Just because it's more obvious doesn't mean it's any less useful or at a lower level, like it's like it's for children or for young Christians. That's, that's not how Jesus' teachings work. Um, and so Jesus responds to the Pharisees about their little inquiry about washing hands before you eat. And what he tells the crowds in front of the Pharisees in response to that is, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles, but it's what comes out of the mouth. That's what defiles. And so it's, it's not what you eat, it's what you say that pollutes your life. It's a good lesson to learn. It's not really about the rules that you follow. It's about the kind of things that your life is producing that really determines if your life is good and pure or polluted. It's pretty profound message, but it's also a pretty easy message to understand. But if you still don't quite understand it, don't worry because Peter didn't either. You remember Peter? We talked about Peter last week, didn't we? He's perhaps the most important disciple that Jesus has, but he just messes up. He sinks right in front of Jesus over and over again. 
and he just doesn't seem to get it a lot. But as we learned last week, his blunders and his inability to digest Jesus' teachings are not in the Bible for us to make fun of. They're in the Bible to show us that we are going to do the exact same thing. His life is not a one-off. It's a parallel of your own. Highly favored, deeply loved by Christ while being clumsy, half-baked, and boneheaded at the same time. Anytime you see Peter in the Bible, you have the freedom to just insert yourself. Okay? Not, no judgment, just acknowledgement. So Peter asked Jesus to explain. Maybe, maybe Peter has a case of the literalisms, right? It's, it's more intuitive for us that a variety of foods is uh, actually really good for you and really tasty. And for the most part, as a culture, we don't have many dietary restrictions apart from maybe self-imposed ones or allergy-imposed ones. But Peter is thinking, of course, the things that you put in your mouth defile you. That's, yes, that's what happens. Because Peter lives in a culture and a religion where eating foods like pork and shellfish and cheese on top of beef will make you ritually impure. What Jesus is saying is counterintuitive to Peter, okay? So Jesus helps him out with some vivid imagery. He gets down to Peter's level, not, not on a condescending way, but in a gracious way, and he, he gets a little more literal with him. He basically says, when you're eating something, it goes into your stomach, and then it goes out into the toilet. Now, my version kind of softens that language, and it says sewer. And if you're reading the ESV, which is the Bibles in the pews, uh, they just decide not to translate those last two Greek words at all. They just, they're just like, oh, those Greek words, we don't want them. <laughs> it's just a choice by the, by the Bible translators in an effort to make it sound a little better, to make it sound like Jesus is not talking about going to the potty, Okay. It's a small effort to sterilize the words of Jesus, a choice I'm not a really big fan of, but that's another sermon. And then he tells Peter the point of it all. It's about content. It's about content. It's about what kind of things are inside of you as a person and not inside of your gut. Eugene Peterson says it this way. He says, what comes out of your mouth gets its start in the heart. And it's from the heart that we vomit up evil arguments and murders and adulteries and fornications and thefts and lies and crooked speech. Those are the things that pollute a spirit. Eating or not eating certain foods, washing or not washing your hands, that's neither here or there. So here is the timeless, on-the-surface teaching from Jesus directed towards the crowds. What you eat or the customs that you participate in or what your neighbor eats or the customs that your neighbor participates in, those don't matter as far as your relationship with God. They don't harm God. They don't harm you. They don't harm your neighbor. Immoral, impure behavior and speech, that always harms you. That always harms your neighbor, and it harms God because it harms you and your neighbor. 
God does not judge the outside appearance of good behavior patterns like you and I do. God looks at the heart. And the question is, what is coming out of your heart? That's the timeless teaching from Jesus. It's easy to understand, and yet it's also challenging to make us, uh, to make us examine ourselves and our actions. And then we have the more specific teaching, the teaching that Jesus is facing the, the Pharisees with, a more layered teaching directed at that question he's been asked about ritual purity. It's a, it's a teaching that does apply to you and about your spiritual life, though. So remember, Jesus is addressing the Pharisees in their insistence on following the traditions and the teachings of the old rabbis, which isn't bad. That's not a bad thing in itself. But Jesus is addressing their commitment to the teachings of the old rabbis, even though those teachings go against God's words. He's mad at them for favoring the human precepts over divine revelation. And so we have to kind of jump back to the beginning of this chapter because our text is in context of the first nine verses. The Pharisees ask about washing your hands, which is their tradition of choice that they have decided to ask Jesus about. And then Jesus sort of fires back and he asks, why do you break God's commandment for the sake of your tradition?" And he mentions the exact commandment that they are breaking with another tradition that they practice. He mentions the fifth commandment, the fifth out of the 10 commandments. You know, honor your father and mother, honor your parents. So Jesus is referring to a specific tradition, one that comes from the old rabbis, not the scriptures, where you're supposed to pledge money to the temple that was supposed to be paid out to the temple upon your death. Okay, so by the time you're a certain age, you needed to have a certain amount of money saved uh, as a bequeathment to the temple and to the priests upon your death, uh, like a balloon tax payment that you pay when you die. It's, it's an old teaching called the Corbin Laws. It's actually mentioned in 1 Corinthians a couple of times. It's not a scriptural teaching. It's an old rabbi teaching found in the Mishnah, which is a, a collection of old rabbi teachings. And the only catch was about saving that money for the temple is that you couldn't use that money for any other purposes. You had to save it and basically forget it. Even if mom and dad needed their help in the old age, you couldn't use that money to help them. And therefore, Jesus is critiquing their beloved tradition by saying it straight up defies the commandment of God to honor your parents. You break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition. This is the layered teaching of Jesus. As we develop our spiritual life, and which we all know that's a lifelong process. If you think you are done developing your spiritual life, let's talk. As we develop our spiritual life, Jesus is telling us that we should give preference to the words of God over the words of people. Even if those people are smart, highly respected, and even godly. And what does this mean? It means that if most of your spiritual life is developed through the worship songs and the sermons that you hear here, 
you could be prone to having a pharisaical spirit, a a spirit that looks like the Pharisees. A spiritual life that is built upon the human precepts and human tradition in place of the words of God. The most important thing that you can do for your spiritual life is to commune with God. Get in front of God. Listen to God. Learn from God. Open the Bible and actually spend time with God in prayer. It's not empty words. We really mean it when we say that communion with God is the most important thing about us. It's more than the sermons we hear and the songs that we sing and the denomination that we're a part of and the bylaws and Alexander Campbell and John Wesley and John Calvin or any other theologian you can name yourself after. Now, human precepts and human traditions are not bad. Don't hear me say that. And oftentimes they are very helpful when it comes to worshiping our wonderful God. It's okay and even good to follow a tradition and to adopt a theology or to find yourself in a subculture of Christianity. We don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. It is wise to give yourself to a tradition and a community that helps you and teaches you how to worship God. These are good things. But what Jesus is really talking about is devotion to God that hurts God because it hurts other people. It's a Pharisee spirit and a way of religious living that values tradition in order to worship God over loving people who God tells us to love as an act of worship. If you follow a tradition or a teacher or a theologian or a pastor, me included, or a community, and you find that certain doctrines and structures and precepts are more important than God's own words, then that is a breeding ground for a pharisaical spirit. That's why communion with God is the most important thing about you. Precepts, theologies, pastors, worship songs, traditions, doctrines, theologians, they're all good. They're not God. We have to hold on tightly to God and never let go of God, while at the same time, having an open hand with our traditions and our precepts. Traditions and precepts serve us in helping us worship God. We don't serve them, and we drop them if they don't follow in the words and commands of God. We follow Jesus, and we only follow Jesus. A pharisaical spiritual life will follow others before it follows Jesus, wherever he goes. A healthy spiritual development will listen to the words of people, but will prefer the words of God over the words of people, especially if they're at odds with each other. This is the layered, more specific teaching within our text today. You know, the earliest Christians... uh, the Christians in the Bible and and soon after the Bible was written, uh, they didn't know that what they practiced was called Christianity. Christians in the first and second centuries, they they didn't really know that their new life was called Christianity. Uh, Instead, they called it the way. 
I don't know if you knew that, but it's mentioned at least six times in the book of Acts that what they do is called the way. Um, And they called it the way because they were just following Jesus. And Jesus said, I am the way. And so they followed the way. And the way was always and has always been about following Jesus and just Jesus, remembering his words, applying his teachings and becoming more like him every day. If you're going to do the way the right way, you followed Jesus. But, you know, you'll hear the apostles and you'll develop ways of worshiping Jesus, but those, those are secondary. The way was done well if you followed Jesus who is the way. The wrong way was following someone else. And why? because nobody else died for you. You were not baptized into any other person's name. So although this passage is about the content of your heart instead of what you put into your stomach, it's also about who you follow. It's about who you commune with. And communion with God will always be the most important thing about you. We're going to pray, and then we're going to have communion together as a family. God, I thank you that you are so gracious and kind that you choose to self-reveal to us, giving us someone to follow. We love you, and we ask for the grace that you would shape us into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. uh, Lord, help us to follow the traditions but always uh, prefer your words over anybody else's. Help us to be people who get in front of you first. We want to be people who listen to you first, who develop our spiritual lives, not on the words of other people, but on your words. Help us to be your people and nobody else's. We love you and we ask for the grace to love you more in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.